Good morning and welcome to our Daily Word and Prayer. My name is Tom Short, so glad to have you along with us today. So get into the Word of God, talk about it, pray about it, and allow it to transform our lives. So glad to have you along with me today. By getting in the Word every day, you show you're serious about growing as a Christian and understanding our God. So I appreciate you having appreciate you being with me. We've been talking about some of my favorite spots when we visit the land of Israel. And today I'd like to talk about what's known as the Southern Steps. Now, I in the thumbnail you may have seen here, unless you're listening to the podcast, I'm going to have some visuals today. If you're on the podcast, you can still benefit. But the Southern Steps, Neil Armstrong, of course, the first man to ever walk on the moon, when he stood there years ago, he asked his guide, is this really where Jesus Christ stood on these very steps? And the guide said, yes, it is. And he made the comment that standing there was more exciting, more significant to him than having stood on the moon. Wow. Now that's the perspective we want to have. Not very many people stood on the moon, but only once has the Son of God come and stood on the earth. And to be where he was was so exciting to him, and we're excited about that as well. I'd like to show you a map of old Jerusalem so you can understand where Jerusalem at the time of Jesus, you can understand where these southern steps are that I'm talking about. Um, here's what we call the city of David. This is this is a temple here. To the south of the to the south of the temple, where the temple was located, is what's known as the city of David obviously named after David. This is where David first had his um, his uh, castle, his, his dwelling place. I don't know if castle, his dwelling place. And it's interesting, it's not very big, and as it's recently been excavated, the thing that struck me about being in the city of David, the size of it, it says Uriah was a neighbor of his. And Uriah, of course, that's where Bathsheba was his wife, and when David saw her bathing, it wasn't like he saw her, you can tell, it wasn't like he saw her in the distance, like 100, 100 yards away or something. They probably had, it was small enough area, they, they probably had eye contact when he saw her and and then called her, called for her and then committed adultery with her, his great sin. Anyway, that's another topic for another time. From the city of David, you they would walk from here and they would walk up to these temple steps and that would lead up to the temple. This, it was here that they would sing what's known as the Song of Ascents. If you read in Psalm 120 through 134, it's titled the Song of Ascents. And they would march from the city of David up into the temple, and they would be singing these psalms as they had this short walk up through the temple steps and then into the temple. But these temple steps, they're, of course, all that remains of the temple. Uh, there's the western wall, which is over here on the western side, which is actually the foundation for where the temple is built up above. And this is a very holy spot for the Jews. But these temple steps were where they would have walked up. This uh, is also a lead, what led up into the temple. And as such, because the Romans destroyed the temple, they tore down, as Jesus prophesied in Matthew 24, that the entire temple would be destroyed. Every stone upon it would be torn down, and that is the case. The western wall is just the foundation that the temple is built upon, and these steps are what led up to the temple, but the temple itself 
was completely destroyed as Jesus prophesied in Matthew 24. <clears throat> but these temple steps may have been where some pretty significant events took place, and it's where we can think of even events in the temple, we can relate them because they were right there, right next to one another. When you stand here on these temple steps, you can look to your right and you see the Mount of Olives, and you're reminded there of Jesus in Matthew chapter 23, where he talked about the these Pharisees, he was rebuking them. You're like whitewashed sepulchers, outwardly beautiful marble, inwardly filled with dead men's bones. Even likewise, outwardly, you appear righteous to men, but inwardly, you're filled with all greed, envy, hypocrisy, and sin. It's a very significant verse in my my salvation experience, my salvation testimony, because I grew up thinking I'm a good person. I haven't done anything that bad. I, I'm, I'm, am I a sinner? Well, I thought in my head I was, but I didn't had no conviction in my soul of, of any guilt before God. I compared myself to others and thought I'm better than them until I read Matthew 23 and that very verse about the whitewashed sepulchers that outwardly appearing righteous, inwardly being filled with sin. And that's the verse God used. That's the chapter God used to convict me that I'm really a lost person and I really needed salvation. I needed some, I, I, I had a problem. I need to get fixed, shall we say. I, I tried to fix myself and I couldn't do it. And that's when I discovered Jesus Christ rescued me, saved me, made me new, made, made me a child of God. So that's always a significant verse to me as I consider those looking right there. So we stand on these temple steps and you look right to your right and there you see a whole mountainside on the Mount of Olives down here at the base of the Mount of Olives, all of those whitewashed, those tombs, those whitewashed sepulchers. This may have been the place where Peter preached on Pentecost and 3,000 people were saved. It says he was there at the temple, but it may have been here on these steps, at the top of these steps. The people may have been down underneath listening. They might have been up in the temple. We're unsure exactly. But th these are pretty significant places. And when we go there, it reminds me also of Luke chapter 2. And this is what I look, like to look at today with Jesus here. Luke chapter 2. Now his parents went to Jerusalem. This is when Jesus was 12, okay? Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. And when he became 12, they went up there according to the custom of their feast, of the feast. And as they were returning, after spending the full number of days, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents were unaware of it, but supposed him to be in the caravan and went a day's journey. And they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. Then after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. <clears throat> All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. This passage, I mean, I don't know if you don't overlook some of the things said in here. The reality of Jesus at age 12, this is when Jewish boys are bar mitzvahed. Jewish girls are bat mitzvahed. It's the event at which they say you're now accountable. You're expected to know what God says. You're expected to live what God says. 
so the bar mitzvah for the Jewish boys and bat mitzvah for the Jewish girls is usually about age, while they're age 12. And this is probably what went on there with Jesus. It may have been his bar mitzvah. We don't know for sure. But they considered him an adult at age 12. Think about some 12-year-olds you know. Jesus, they, they trusted, he, he was mature enough that when they left, they traveled for a day before they realized, where's Jesus? Think of what that must have been like. He must have been mature enough that they knew he could look after himself. They could trust him. They knew he was responsible. They didn't think he had to be like kept on a leash. And as a result, he they they left they missed him. Now I don't know we I don't know we left a McDonald's or a Wendy's or something once and left one of our kids behind for like ten minutes and realized wait wait a minute where's one of them because we had five and we might have left one behind once it seems like we did maybe it was another family I can't remember but we didn't leave behind for a whole day and leave the city and travel a day's journey away and realize wait a minute where's our son tells us they must have had a lot of confidence and trust in, in, in him, his responsibility. Well, when they didn't find him, it says they went back. And when they found him three days later, what was he doing during those three days? Somehow he must have been able to take care of himself. Again, a 12-year-old, I mean, come on, folks. There's probably some 20-year-olds we wouldn't think could handle that today. But here he was at 12, able to be responsible, look after himself in this big, strange city for three days. And when they found him, where was he? He was sitting with the teachers, sitting amongst the teachers, and they were amazed at what he had to say and the questions he asked. I'd like to suggest that with our own kids, we up the standards of what we expect of them. That with our own kids, you know, somehow we we just kind of, sometimes we just hope they make it to adulthood without getting in big trouble, without, you know, doing something terribly embarrassing or getting in trouble with the law or getting someone pregnant or getting on drugs or something like that. Let's have a vision for our kids. Let's have high expectations. Let's see that by age 12, now I realize Jesus is the Son of God, but remember, this was probably his bar mitzvah, there was an expectation at this age in the general culture, an expectation that at this age he could begin to act as an adult. And with our kids, a belief that at age at age 12, this not have this period of adolescence, like they're kind of grown up, but they're not really an adult yet. We don't expect them to be responsible, but they're not a child anymore. This is when a lot of people get in trouble. Because we don't, we don't expect them to really act as an adult until later in life. In our day now, it's often 26 or 27. We're not expecting them to really take the responsibilities of adulthood. Jesus was able to interact with people. He was able to ask perceptive questions. They were amazed at his questions. They were amazed at the wisdom he had. They were amazed. Where did he learn these things? Folks, a mind is an important thing. I've shared before, and I'll share again, 
many, many times on campus, I ask atheists, when did they become an atheist? Oh, they always say, when I began to think for myself. I say, yeah, but what age? What age? You know, many atheists once believed in God, or they were raised to believe in God, and they stopped believing. And I ask, well, when did you stop believing? When did you become an unbeliever, an agnostic or atheist? It's almost always age 12 or 13. This is what's going on then. This is the time scripturally, or not scripturally, culturally there with the Jews, that they expected a person to be considered an adult. They expected accountability. They would call it like an age of accountability. This would be the the expectation that you're going to act like an adult. You're going to be responsible now. This is the time when their body's going through changes and they're beginning to uh, have uh, uh, adult desires. It's a time when we don't, we dare not neglect our kids or say, I just hope they don't get in big trouble. Let's just kind of keep them out of trouble till they get to be an adult on their own. This is a time to be building into their lives. Well, actually, we should have been building long before this, building scripture, memorizing scripture, teaching them how to think, how to think critically, how to learn, how to, how to, uh, how to, how to be an adult how to be a thinker, how to develop a heart for God, how to love God, how to be obedient to God. Obviously, how to obey their parents is a big thing they've been trained from birth. I want to encourage, as we we go to these southern steps, and I think of this, I picture Jesus, sitting a 12-year-old sitting amongst the rabbis, saying things that amaze them, asking questions. They say, wow. Where do you get this wisdom? Folks, Christ lives in us. I think this, we worship him. He was obviously the son of God. But don't put him on such a pedestal that you say, my child could never also be growing in wisdom, stature, the fear of respect, respected by both God and man through at this age. Amen? Father, we pray and we bless you today for the children and grandchildren you've given to us. How we pray, Father, we commit them to you, we dedicate them to you, they are gifts from you, and we want to be good parents and good grandparents as we steward these children that you've entrusted to us. Father, help us to have high expectations for them. Not that we place burdens and pressure on them, but that we have faith for them. Lord, we pray that you would give us people who, at age 12, are really perceptive wise, insightful, that they're, they're loving God at this age, that they're, peop- they're having faith, they're having vision of how you want to use their life. We pray, Father, for our own children, it wouldn't be years and years and years until they figure out that they're followers of Christ, believers in Christ, disciples of Christ, and, and gathering an uh, understanding of vision and purpose for their life. Oh, Father, we pray for our children to not be sucked into a, this culture that will destroy them, We pray you'd protect and watch over them from sin. We pray, Lord, you'd protect them from the influences that would would just poison their soul. Rather, we pray, Lord, that our children and our grandchildren at a young age, you would speak to them, you'd call them, you'd you'd put a, a burden in their heart and a love in their heart, a love for you, a love for their parents, a love for the lost, a love for your truth, a love for the word. Give them a purpose to live for. Help them to see this 
example in our Lord Jesus Christ and to seek to emulate that here was a young man, just a boy, who had a heart for God, like David when he slayed Goliath, like Samuel when, when, when you called him to be a prophet. We pray, Lord, put your hand upon our children in their youth, we pray. And we ask it in Jesus' name. We pray for us today, Lord. Help us to be uh, good parents, grandparents. Help us to walk with you. Help us to love you. Help us to rise above every trial, temptation, discouragement, attack, assault, whatever we would face today, Lord. Let us rise above, not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good this very day. We pray for it. We bless you. Use us as your instruments, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, and amen. Amen. Hey, thanks for joining me. I am so glad to have the opportunity to share the word with you each day. So I'm here every morning, 8.30 a.m. Eastern Time. I hope you join me. Subscribe, hit the notify button. Leave a comment below or in the chat if you're here live. Let me know where you're from. I really do like to know who's here. And uh, sometimes an old, old friend I've not seen in years will leave a message. And so blesses me some of the people that that uh, I'm able to reconnect with through this way. We're not once a week, once a month, a month, once a year, or just when I feel like a Christians. We're everyday Christians. That's why we want to get in the Word of God every day. I hope you're doing it personally, but this is also a chance for you to receive some teaching and instruction and help, inspiration. I hope that this time helps you grow, be inspired. So join us live or later in the day or, or on the podcast, the Apple, Spotify, or Google platforms. I hope you can join us. Tell your friends, invite them to be a part of it. And if you want to join us in Israel, go to my website, tomthepreacher.com. We'll be going next February. It's always a great trip. We trust Lord willing we'll be there and be a wonderful trip again this year. God bless you, and we will see you tomorrow. Have a great day. Bye-bye.